another episode of Uncap It. My name is Kennedy and I'm here with Haley. And on today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about social change and what it is and how it impacts us every day. So first, the most important thing is to know what social change is. Right. So social change is basically the way human interactions and relationships transform. This could be culturally or through social institutions. And it's basically something that happens gradually over time. My understanding of it is basically the way I see it is it's catching up to something. So it's when society and social order change in order to catch up to something that's happening in the world around them. It's like we're adapting. Like we learned about in science class. Exactly. <laughs> so there's six different factors that can have an effect on how we evolve through social change. So the first one that we're going to talk about a little bit is the physical environment. And basically, this can increase social change because when a group moves to a new area or if there's a natural disaster, that group will have to come together and make changes to their normal life to adapt to their new issues and their new environment. And you can also be affected by demographics. And demographics are the size and the structure of the human population. So if there's a big shift in the size or the structure, this can have an impact on the society and there will have to be some changes put into effect. Also, culture can have a really big impact on social change. This is one of the more important ones that I think of. And there's definitely a big connection between our culture and our social institutions. So if there is a cultural shift, then our social institutions have to change along with that. Social systems are made out of our cultural values. So when our culture changes, then there's a big change as well in our social systems. Right. A fourth factor is ideational factors. And this is because ideas are a huge motivating force and they're extremely powerful in our society. It's basically what things develop from. Everything comes from an idea of some sort. And ideas are obviously they're always changing and society basically has to adapt to fit new ideas. A fifth one would be economic factors and industrialization especially can be seen as an economic factor i know i think of like the industrial revolution when i think of that but clearly that was a huge change in society and changed the way that we did things and that influenced the economy and how our economy thrived and the way that it worked yeah i think that when the economy changes Almost everything within, like, human life has to change. For example, with inflation, when one price goes up, all the prices go up, and society as a whole has to combat that and be able to change their spending habits, be able to change, like, minimum wage and stuff like that. So economy definitely can increase social change. Right, and I know, like, gas prices especially, the way adults react to something as simple as gas prices or grocery prices is unreal. So I think that has more of an effect on social change and how we adapt than we think it does. Right. And a final factor is political factors. And this could be something like the type of political leadership we have or the individual that's in power because they greatly influence not only the rate but the direction of social change. So depending on what our political leader at the time believes and what they are emphasizing, that is going to affect the social change that we move for. Yeah, I think that's super relevant, especially for us as political science majors. Like, just looking at the difference between our society and the people within our society when 
President Trump was our president and now that President Biden is our president, there's just definitely a shift between the two of them. And that just shows how impactful politics can be. Right. So I think next it's important that we go into some examples of social change so you guys kind of get an idea of historical social change and movements that we've seen in time. That way you guys can get a better picture of what social change is and maybe related to something you guys already know about. So for me, the biggest social change example that I can think of is definitely the civil rights movement. Right. We've been learning about that all throughout school and it's a very important topic that we all should be well educated on. And we can definitely see how that has shifted society from before the civil rights movement to after. There's been so many changes within our society, so many things that have become normalized that should have been normalized the whole time, but it just wasn't. And so I really think it's impactful to see how one movement can have such a big impact on social change. Right. Another movement that I think of is the feminist movement. And earlier this season, we had a women in politics episode, and that can kind of relate back to the feminist movement and different rights that females have. And just like with the civil rights movement, so many things changed after the feminist movement went through because so many more people got their rights, so many more people were represented now. Right, and one more that is definitely a social change movement, but I don't think we think of it as much because it's not changing necessarily the social order. It would be the green movement, which you can tie back into the environment and different environmental progress that we have made. So obviously all of these three movements that we just talked about are super important. There's so many more that we could talk about. Social change is constantly happening. It's an issue that we're dealing with every day. But it's important for us to understand why social change is so important because the whole idea of social change is for the betterment of society. To keep our society adaptable and to have the ability to change it to how we want it to be. Right. I think social change is really all about improvement and improving human conditions. And without social change, I feel like we'd be stuck in a rut almost. So I think recognizing the importance of social change is huge because it has influenced so much and gotten us to where we are today. Especially as Gen Z people as we are. I think it's super important for us to look around at the world around us and see what changes we want to be made and work towards that so we can keep up with our needs and what we expect out of our world and our government and our leaders and all things like that. Right, and I think it's also important to recognize that it doesn't have to be this big social change movement. Social change can happen on the individual level too. Right. And honestly, that's where most of the big movements start. Speaking of social change on the more individual level, Kennedy, you are actually in a production with two of the guests that we will bring on later, and you guys talked about and performed in order to promote social change. So do you just want to talk about your experience with that a little bit? Absolutely. So I worked with Inlet Dance Theater Company along with the ONU Dance Company on campus, and... Later on in this episode, we will have Bill and Josh on, and they'll talk about their experience. But I was actually a part of the dance show. I was in Bill's piece, which focused on estuaries. And when you think of estuaries, I know that that's like, you think of fish in the water. (laughs) But it was very symbolic because an estuary is the most like biodiverse place in water. 
And Bill wanted this dance to be a way for us to show that humans can be biodiverse. Like we can be all different human beings and still live in harmony together because inside those estuaries, there are so many different types of fish, so many different types of coral and everything like that, but they still all coincide and like live together. And our dance was just kind of commentary on how as humans, we should be able to all live together in harmony. And it doesn't matter what color your skin is or if you're a male or female. So it was essentially promoting like diversity and acceptance within our community. I honestly love that. And I'm really excited to hear their perspective on how they got into promoting social change through dance. I think that's such a great way to reach a completely different audience and also to visually put that message out there because some people just learn better and can interpret and understand the information better through dance. Right. And dance has always been known as like a language that everyone can understand because it's not a spoken language. It is just through gestures and movement. So it's very easy for anybody to look at a dance and get a message out of it. And I know that Inlet has been working for a really long time on creating dances. Most of their dances do have some sort of social change or social justice issue that they're talking about within their dance. And I just think it's a really great way to spread a message that most people wouldn't think of. So we have talked a lot today about social change in a variety of ways. And we have two very special guests with us today who are looking at social change in a different way than most people. Today we have Bill Wade, who is visiting Ohio Northern as a guest choreographer for a collaboration with the ONU Dance Company. And he is the founder of Inlet Dance Theater, which operates out of Cleveland, Ohio. Bill has been dancing for many years and focuses on social issues and the betterment of human beings. Also with him today is Josh Brown, who is an Inlet teaching artist and a former company member. And he has been working with Inlet since 2004. So if you guys can both just talk a little about yourself, tell us a little bit more. So my name is Joshua Brown. Yeah, I've been working with the company since 2004. Came in without very much training and started learning how to dance. Basically, I uh, encountered Bill the summer before my senior year. Came and visited him in the company winter of my senior year they were back from winter break and I was still had a week left so I kind of found a group of people that I really enjoyed and wanted to create with so that was my introduction to dance so it was a dance company so I moved to Cleveland the following August and started to learn how to dance I think that's mostly my story yeah. <laughs> all right Bill yeah well I, I actually Started dancing at 18 as a freshman in college for undergrad. Um, we went to college originally for art and painting and sculpture and realized when I saw modern dance happening in the studio during freshman orientation day where they walk all the little freshmen around and right. say, yeah. Here's, yeah. Where you, here's where you eat lunch, you know, yes. that whole thing. I saw a modern dance class going on. And for me, I had this weird experience of recognizing the medium that I was supposed to be doing. I was a gymnast when I was a little kid. I grew up art lessons and music lessons and when I saw all of those things combined into one art form I was like that's totally what I'm supposed to be doing so and then you know I trained for three years including being a trainee two years at the University of, of Wisconsin Milwaukee 
a year as a trainee, a year and a half as a trainee at Milwaukee Ballet, and then I got hired by, back then in 1984, Ohio's leading professional modern dance company, which was Footpath Dance Company out of Cleveland, which is why I moved to Cleveland in 1984. And I was with the company until the company folded. 1990, I got a job as an artist in residence at an inner ring urban high school, a magnet school for the arts, who told me they had a dance department. And then I got there and I realized this is not a dance department. <laughs> Let's do something about that. And my two weeks of master classes uh, turned into 11 years. I started an after school program called The Yard, which is for youth at risk dancing. And we ended up at the White House and Time Magazine, Wall Street Journal, and all kinds of stuff. It went really, really well. Mm-hmm. And then in 2000, the 2000 2001 academic year, I realized I needed to let go of that whole thing start a dance company and here we are 21 years later (laughs) (laughs) with a dance company (laughs) that's really cool actually yeah so speaking of your dance company inlet your guys's motto is using dance to further people can you guys talk a little bit more about what that means yeah i think that because i you know i was very blessed i had a lot of really cool experiences being in studios with very famous people that i had no business being in the studio with and i but i was aware of it the whole time and was really listening and taking in everything. The industry can be kind of brutal and people are used to further the agenda of the dance company or that choreographer or the project grant or, you know, people say dance for dance's sake. It's a lie. (laughs) Um, There's always something at stake and there's, there's always a reason why dancing is happening. So for me, I had a big aha when I got to the inner city school did my two weeks of master classes at the end of that school year and fell in love with the kids. And then the kids over time made me realize that instead of using people to further dance, maybe we should be using dance to further people. And that's when all of this crazy stuff happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that aspect is very multifaceted. I think we're even probably still discovering ways where that can be true. You know, for example, we have a intensive over the summer, and so we're pouring into these students who are coming to us by involving them in the art making process. So they're engaging in the discipline and the joy of refining their dance technique and also in creating art. But it doesn't stop there. So they become part of the motto of then they are using dance to serve the audience. And that fact is part of what is kind of being built into them, that generous, giving, serving heart is part of what they're learning, and that's part part of what's developing them as well. And then you start realizing how many people are involved in creating a piece of artwork. Composers are involved. People at the theater, the technical folk are involved families are involved you start doing uh, educational work and all of those students are involved and their families are involved staff the staff is involved right so you go to a school and you might do like an introductory concert for a residency it's not just the kids watching that concert the teachers get to see it yeah all the staff at the school maybe they're used to going and seeing dance and um experiencing the benefit of that and maybe they're not maybe this is the first time that they've seen modern dance and they've 
may encounter something that speaks to them and has some meaning for them. And so you're, we do all these things and there's usually an intended audience, but that's not the only recipient. That's not the only person that you can serve. So we kind of try to bear that in mind in whatever we're doing so that we know every single person we encounter and even people that we don't see are people that we have an opportunity to pour life into at any given Right. You never really know like who you're going to reach with the message. Like it could impact anybody or the process itself, Right. Yeah, the process itself. And there's a way to wield the process so that it's life giving mm-hmm. and not spirited. Yeah. You can, you can, <laughs> you can create a very powerful message and run a bunch of people over in the creation of that as right. well, yes, but you exactly. don't have to. No. So a lot of your dances do have those really powerful messages behind them. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering, what is your favorite piece that you've choreographed or performed in? I know you were a member of the company for a while that has had that strong societal message behind it. And what was that message and what did it mean to you at the time? That's, that's difficult. <laughs> it's a loaded question, it, I well, know. Well, <laughs> it's, what's interesting is I have different pieces that are a favorite for different applications, if mm-hmm. that makes any yeah. sense at all. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think one of the things that is dearest to my heart is a commission from Playhouse Square in Cleveland to create a full-length production for four- to eight-year-olds and the adults that come with them to the theater. It's like that whole thing where the, the buses come in and the kids all go out right. on the bus. and It's that situation, but then on the weekend it was for families. And they provided a commission, which meant they had the resources to give us to we ended up empl- like employing like 20 different artists of various different kinds to help build this huge production. It landed a national t- we got so that landed a top tier booking agency and a year later uh, we ended up on a national tour. We were on the national tour when the pandemic hit 2 years ago and lost the second half of the tour. But what's interesting about this production is we approached it the book is what do you do with an idea? We approached it knowing we have failed if the adults watching this show are on their cell phones. How can we? It's like the whole Pixar model, right? Like, right, yeah. <laughs> is that cartoon really for children? Why do I like it so <laughs> right. much? You know, that whole yes. thing. We talked about it a lot, and we took three years to build this production. And constant conversation with the guy that wrote the book, uh, Kobe Yamada. He's awesome. And he was behind us 110%. And seeing a thousand children who are really little give a production a standing ovation after they've been ooing and aahing and screaming and applauding the whole time at the end of it. And the children, the first place we went was the Peace Center in Greenville, South Carolina. And after the very first production, all of the kids in the audience stood up and applauded. And the woman who runs that Performing Arts Center came up to me and she said, I've been doing this for a really, really long time. I've literally never seen that happen before. That's when you know you nailed it, you know, <laughs> but also like the adults with the tears and, you know, because the content is it's not my content. I mean, Kobe wrote the book. Right. But to do that content such justice that it's that moving for people. We just toured it recently again up to Kalamazoo, Michigan, and performed for over twenty five hundred kids. Same wow. res- same response two years later. So I th- that one's very dear to my heart because of the work that went that we all put into it. Yeah, absolutely. 
I was trying to th think about this in a, in a little bit of like, okay, what are the pieces that have a societal message? And I was like, oh, wait, all of them. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which, which goes back to that, you know, using dance to further people. You know, it's not dance for dance sake. Everything has purpose behind it. I'm going to go with um, a piece called Close Shave, partially because of the content of it, but also just partially because it was a super fun piece to do. And you um, helped create it. I helped make it, and and another person who helped make it is a is a guy who I performed it with for years before doing it with other people, and yeah, it was that was just some of my very enjoyable moments dancing and performing are connected to that piece. Like I have this this memory of performing it on stage, and it has all these like partnering stuff. You were throwing each other around. There's like wrestling moves involved. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. And there, there, there's one part where we're we're doing this kind of repeating moment where one of us goes in the air, the other one goes in the air, and um, throwing each other around. And we got to this point where um, it seems so like simple and silly saying it, but we got to this point where like we could have stopped there, or we could do two more of those. And we were getting fairly close to the edge of the stage. And the safe thing to do would have been to stop. But we like we like synced up and we knew like we're gonna do two more. And it was such a like for me, inside of that experience was the enjoyment of syncing up with my buddy and being like, Oh yes, we can do this, we're gonna do this, like and and we both know that that's what's gonna happen. And without, kind of yeah, because without saying anything right. verbally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, just kind of, and it, and it adds because part of the content of the piece is this idea of a close shave. Things that are like, whoa, that was close, and so like getting that much farther to the edge of the stage, almost to like, oh, are they going to run into, like, are they going to end up off stage? Or are they going to not do that? It was very, very fun. I remember after the piece was over, going off stage, and we actually got in trouble because we were like, oh my gosh, that was so awesome! I love dancing <laughs> with you. Da, 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 da. And then it was like, someone's like, shh. There's like another piece. There's an audience out there. Um, <laughs> they were very loud. You can't be loud backstage. <laughs> you know this. Um, so that was a very fun experience for me, and and it's just a really fun piece. So the and the the content of this piece is, "Man in the Mirror," is the name of the book, and it's kind of about looking in the mirror and really taking an objective look at what's going on there, and then doing something about it. We didn't read the book. We just took the general idea, like from the cover of the book, and was like, "No, can preface, we? Yeah. yeah, we understand at least the initial concept of the book, and there's enough in there to bite into to jump off from." So this idea of, as a as a as a guy, one of the reasons you shave is because, like, oh, I've got this scruff. I look scruffy. There's something on my body that I don't like, mm -hmm. and I need to take this sharp blade and scrape that thing off of my face so it becomes this metaphor for seeing this thing in the mirror that I don't like and trying to remove that thing so the whole duet is actually one character and he's kind of wrestling with this other person and they're fighting for like are you gonna you know get out get out of me get out of here no I'm sticking around you get out of here you know just thinking of it as a guy that really is I guess not just a guy um, that is like a, a thing uh, as a person that you you see every day. There's there's right. lots of self talk that that we yep. give ourselves, and we can be overly harsh about it, um, and we can also be dishonest about it. But the the 
the ability to kind of look at yourself and be honest about what that is. And also, you know, have a level of acceptance too because the, the mm-hmm. piece kind of ends. They kind of have this wrestling thing and they separate and there's a, there's a moment of, okay, you're still there, but I, I see that you're there and now I have a, a deeper understanding of what I'm doing and why I do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe you'll always be a part of me, but at least I can see that you're there and that gives you, that gives me more understanding about how I am and, and what I'm doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So just based off of what you guys have told me today, you know, I just meeting you guys today for the first yeah. time. Um, I can tell that you guys are both very passionate about what you do and, uh, the issues that you guys are promoting. So why do you guys feel it's important to find unique ways to promote social change? I think that any careful examination of social constructs around us, particularly, I mean, it's ironic. I mean, the company's 21 years old, right? We're in our 21st season. Um, but if you pay any amount of attention to the way human beings treat each other in general, we have a lot to work on. Mm-hmm. Right. And we've constructed know schematics and and infrastructure around who we favor and who we don't favor and why and I just you know every to me this is just me being very personal like every human being to me is a masterpiece of art made by God and like the thought that you're going to put an entire people group in this category or that category or other people for whatever reason that you're not comfortable with Many of things that we can be talking about in choreography, and I think I see the artist's role. When I was young, I thought, you know, I didn't fit in with the other guys. I was an artist. I was always doing art. Um, I didn't play team sports, that whole thing. But now that I'm older, I realize, like, no, I'm actually very uniquely wired for a very specific purpose. And my job is to kind of walk through communities uh, not really belonging to any particular pod of people, if I'm honest. Um, and that's part of, as a result of my upbringing from upstate New, uh, New York and outside of Philly all the way down to Southern California growing up as a kid. So I was always the new kid and never fit in. But it gave me this vantage point of being able to go between people groups and get these people group over here and this these people over here to actually communicate and listen with empathy with each other and actually create and I have found the art making practice, particularly because it's dance and it's our bodies moving, that when you get people from sort of differing factions into the studio and you start building work together, what you're actually doing is building community and it brings about healing. Um, and there's a way to go about it. It's just, it, you, you know, there's a way to go about it with a sense of intentionality. And I think that I have a responsibility as a maker of work that people go to the theater to see. Um, what am I putting on the stage? So we always talk about putting work on the stage that does admit this is what's going on currently, but also infuses hope. So what might be rather than only what is all of the time. I think it's too easy to be negative. I think it's too easy to, even if I'm honest, it's a little adolescent. Yeah. With maturity comes this vantage point of like, you know, I could be helping right. by, by the way I position this work so that's kind of the stance i've decided to take i think it also kind of connected to that even just the paradigm of the or the perspective change of 
having that hope is essential for change. Because if you're like, everything sucks, you can't do anything about it, well, then you're not going to do anything about it. But having that paradigm and that perspective of like, okay, let's be honest about what is good, bad, and be hopeful about what we can do. Think about what is it that we can do versus what we can't do. And that kind of supports the ability, the drive to find action. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you guys both have a very optimistic look on life, and I really love that. And I think that's why you guys are able to do what you do so well. Um, You guys both kind of touched on this next part, but we have a segment on here called Factor Cap. And we're going to say a statement, and if you agree with the statement, you'll say fact. And if you disagree, you'll say cap. So our factor cap for today is, as a society, there's hope that we can come together and achieve change. Fact. Absolutely. Good. <laughs> that was the answer I was hoping for. Yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That is great to hear. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on our show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. I feel like we can learn so much from these differing perspectives. Absolutely. And what you guys are doing is actually so awesome. So thank you so much for having us. Thanks for thank having us be head. <laughs> <laughs> well, Haley, this is kind of a bittersweet moment because this is our last pup day of this season. So if you could just give us a little update on sport and what he's been up to the past couple weeks. You're right. It is the very last pup date. And unfortunately, I don't have very much exciting news for you guys. It's been kind of a boring two weeks for sport. So the most exciting thing he has done is he had a play date with another one of the Polar Paws dogs. If you guys have been with us since the beginning of the season... Our first ever content-based episode was with Chrissy, who is the president of Polar Paws. Well, her dog Pugsley and Sport are best friends. So they had a play date this past weekend, and both of them are very high energy, and they loved every moment of it. And Chrissy texted me and was like, dude, they are still going after an hour and a half. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So that was very good for Sport, but... That was really good for sport, and he loved it, so we'll probably have more play dates. But other than that, I don't have too much to tell you guys. Um, I will try to keep you guys updated with sport on his Instagram if you want to follow it. It's the number four, pause underscore sport. You guys can check out that to get your summer updates. But other than that, when we come back for season two, I will try to give you guys a little update on how his eval went and what he's up to now. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about it. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Uncap It. We hope you enjoyed our talk about social change and, more importantly, some unique ways to promote it. If you'd like to support the podcast, make sure you subscribe and also check out our social medias. Our handles on Instagram and Twitter are ONU underscore ICAP with two Ps. And this is our last episode for season one, so we hope you guys enjoyed. And if you did, make sure to stay tuned for season two. It'll be coming shortly. And we just want to thank you guys for so much support this season, and we can't wait for next season. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody.